Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that was in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Faith in Your Recovery. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're here for you and with you. We're glad you've joined us today. Here in the studio, our guest is Tara Schlemmer. Welcome, Tara. Thank you for having me. Well, we look forward to what you have to share, and I know what you have to offer is going to make a difference, have an impact. Thank you for your willingness. Yes. Good deal. Tara, let's introduce yourself to the folks. Tell them who you are, what you're about right now in life, any hobbies, interests. Okay, well, my name's Tara. I'm 33, about to be 34 years old, born and raised in Decatur, Indiana. I currently work at a rehab facility called Avenues in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'm what you call a group facilitator, kind of work in the clinical department. I'm a mom, so that keeps me pretty busy. I also enjoy volunteering my time to help other people, and I enjoy crafts. Me and my daughter like participate in making all different kinds of crafts and stuff and scrapbooking and Stuff all, like that. <laughs> all right. Sounds interesting. You're also a uh, Team Hope member of A Better Life, Brianna's Hope, our parent organization. Yes? Yes, I am. How long have you been doing that? Um, I think I'm going on like two years now. Been participating for about three. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your commitment, your leadership, and your giving spirit that allows you to do that. Yes. Let's back up into Tara's early years. Tell the folks who you were, what you were about as a young person. Okay. Well, my childhood seemed pretty normal for the most part, all the way up until I turned about maybe seven or eight years old. That's when it seems everything started to fall apart around that time. My mom was, she had six children, so I was the second oldest, the oldest daughter. I had a lot of responsibility taking care of my younger siblings. She worked a lot. She worked two jobs, a job during the day. She worked a job at night. And my stepfather at the time, which was my youngest sister's father, he would work, but not as often and would be home some of the time as well. So I spent more time with him than I did my mother. There appeared to be some some abuse that went on, some sexual abuse, and that's when things actually started to kind of fall apart. My mother obviously prosecuted, and everything just became very chaotic, you can say. That had to be a change and a quick downhill slide, let alone the emotional and physical and every uh, aspect of the pain and all that created. It definitely was. Um, my twin sisters were also being assaulted at this time. They were getting it way worse than me. And, and now as an older adult, I realized saying something was the best thing I could have done. I just remember like telling my mom, I remember being taken to like a police station. I remember exactly what that looked like. I remember the person I talked to just talking about very intimate and personal situations. It was very traumatic. It was very and traumatic. And that's 25 plus years ago. Yes. Yes, yes it was. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
for you to be able to still so clearly see it. That's got to yeah. be tough. But uh, hopefully you've moved on. It doesn't mean the pain's not there or the experience. It doesn't change that, but it certainly changed you. And I'm sure that's one of the things that's led you into where you're at now in life. Yes, it's definitely a part of my identity. You can definitely say so. Yes. Sure. Okay. You shared that with us. Go on from there. Okay. Okay. After uh, this was brought to light, my mother quit her job, both of them, and things just started to become very chaotic. He was eventually arrested, but bonded out. He would stalk us a lot. So we were bouncing from one place to the other, trying to avoid him all the way up until the trial. I think that took about a year and he took it to trial. So as a little girl, I remember going up on that stand talking about very personal and intimate situations that had happened to me in front of a bunch of people I did not know because my mother wasn't even allowed to be in there to be assured that nothing was influenced. So that was pretty traumatic. And looking back at that time, I feel as if this is when my mother's addiction started. She never used prior to this, to my knowledge. So she started picking up then and I could just tell something was off. You know, it was just very chaotic. We rarely had food. We just did not have a very stable environment. Bouncing from one place to the other, there's times where there was no electricity. There's times where we didn't have heat. I even remember as a child at one point in time uh, living in an apartment and we would run an extension cord outside of our apartment to get electricity. So it was very chaotic and very traumatic for someone my age. But as the old, one of the oldest, I felt a sense of responsibility to take care of those younger siblings to the best of my ability. So was all of this, were you in the Decatur area at that time? Yes, we were. Mm -hmm. Folks, I point that out, not to point a finger at Decatur, (laughs) but I just want you to know small town America has issues as well as any large city you want to point to. And it's every small town, regardless of their size, there's trauma, there's things happening next door that we don't know about. We need to be sensitive to the needs of others and do our best to be there when appropriate. So uh, I'd rather make the mistake of maybe stepping out of bounds than to fail to step out of bounds. As you share that, Terry, you bring back a story in my personal life. Our granddaughter at the age of just about four was sexually abused by a family member. The struggle that brought about, and it came down to her going to court, they did not have the smoking gun, so they did not take her to court, which we were kind of thankful for because of that trauma, as you said. Yes. And the loneliness that you had to feel in that room of strangers sharing those intimate things that took place without your mom to even look to. So that had to be difficult. It, it definitely was. And I didn't realize how difficult it actually was until I I got a lot older. Well, yeah, <laughs> that 2020 hindsight kind of thing. Okay, move us forward from there, please. Okay, well, we just continue to uh, live in this chaos, never knowing what's going to happen next. During this time, I found out my mom had divorced my father at a very young age. I couldn't even remember, but I was seeing him every other weekend, and that was actually good for me. There seemed to be a lot of stability 
in that household. So I enjoyed going there. I have very good memories with him. But at the age 13, I found out he actually wasn't my biological father. And at this time, my biological father was kind of poking his head in and out. So I found out who my biological father was. And that was kind of a little bit of a traumatic situation and a good situation because I had discovered I had three other sisters whom I did not have relationships with. Two of them were really close in age to me, and we went to the same school. I was told to keep it a secret, so walking around school knowing that I have siblings that don't even know I exist was very difficult for me, too. Wow, I can't imagine what that secret was like to keep (laughs) when you so wanted to share it and uh, bring some, I don't know, better understanding to the moment of nothing else. Yes. yeah. Yeah. Okay, you talked a little bit ago about that moment when your mom's addiction started. Tell us about that. Yeah, it appeared like I didn't know a whole lot about drugs or or I knew a little bit about alcohol back then because I remember my mother actually dumping out my stepfather's bottles of vodka and putting water in them. Um, so he was definitely an alcoholic. My mother, she she hid it for quite some time. I found strange paraphernalia things laying around. She would sleep all day. Someday she was gone all night. Uh, she just wasn't taking care of her responsibilities. And as an adult now, I can honestly see, looking back at my at my childhood, I can also see where it went wrong. I mean, I can only imagine being a mother myself, how I would feel if something so detrimental happened to my children while under my care. So I feel as if she took the sexual abuse very, very hard. And that's what led her down, down the path that she continues to be on today. That was the pain she was trying to numb at the time. Yes. Is that accurate? Yes, definitely. Yeah. You say she's still on that same path today. She is. Where's her biggest battle? It's definitely opiates is her drug of choice. Back then, I do recall her using meth every once in a while here and there. She definitely had a problem with that. I even remember staying with my father who adopted me for a a period of time as a child because she had gone to try to get some type of treatment, but that didn't really work for her because back then treatment isn't the way it is now. So, but definitely opiates is her, is her biggest struggle. Okay. Take us forward. I know there came a time in your life where you started to face your own addiction battle and whatnot. Tell us about that. It felt as if like I didn't really fit in a whole lot in school. I was very shy. I just feel as if the sexual abuse really affected my confidence and self-esteem. So I just wanted to fit in. Uh, to the best of my ability. And I just started hanging out with the wrong crowd. Very first thing I remember doing is drinking alcohol, uh, just messing around with that here and there at a very young age. I think I was about 12, 13 years old around this time. And then uh, eventually I was introduced to marijuana and I would use marijuana every once in a while. Uh, My mom, she wasn't really strict with us, so I pretty much got to do whatever I want. And eventually I actually found myself pregnant at 15 That was a big wake-up call for me. Um, I had a lot of decisions to make at that time. You know, during this whole process, I thought, why me? Why does everything happen to me? You know, I can't get a break. When I told my mother, we instantly made an agreement that we were going to do an abortion. Uh, So, and I didn't really know much about abortion back then like I do now. And we actually called up there and scheduled an appointment but on the phone they advise us to bring some type of bodyguard with us because the protesters can become very violent 
after being told that we we changed our minds we discovered maybe this isn't the right route to go and then i started considering my options whether i was going to give her up for adoption or keep the baby at this time so was it the fear of the protesters or was it the thought of they're protesting that hard maybe we need to give this a that a second thought. You know, I was so young then. I really do think my mom was giving it a second thought because she was a lot older, had a lot more wisdom than what I did at that time. But honestly, at that time, I think I was just scared. At that time, I really needed the guidance of a parent who was actually stable enough to give me enough information on what I was doing because I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. I didn't have enough information. I just took my mother's advice at that time and did what she said. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Total sense. This is a silly question. I understand that because I know enough about you to know the answer, but I want the folks to hear the answer. Mm -hmm. Did you make the right choice by avoiding, you know, saying no to the abortion? Absolutely. 100%. I couldn't imagine my life if I would have said yes. Okay. And that daughter's how old now? She's 17. 17. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. That's neat. All right, take us on through your addiction battle and, you know, being there, I'm going to guess, as a single mother. Mm -hmm. uh, Tell us about, you know, that period of your life. So obviously during my pregnancy, and then we obviously made the decision to keep uh, my daughter, who was born in September uh, 2004. So I ended up keeping her my whole entire life. Definitely changed at this time. I had to become an adult very young very young age. And you have to remember my mother's still using at this time. It was very difficult for me to maintain education, let alone be a a mom, work and do education. So eventually that led me to dropping out of school. Eventually it led me to getting a job. As soon as I turned 18, I knew I needed to move out. So I did. So I was working a full-time job, taking care of my daughter, trying to finish school. I was trying to do everything I possibly could, but that's kind of what led me into the drugs. Like I discovered opiates and I felt as if uh, if I did this, it gave me more energy and I could get the things done. And I was basically super mom on these opiates. At least I felt like I was. Um, later did I realize that it, it was absolutely detrimental to my to my life and what happens super mom until the crash a few <laughs> days later and then the the crash that takes place within life not just the moment and all yes. that brought in right how long were you uh, heavy into your addiction i stopped using in september of 2016 i was using for quite some years a lot of years yes mm-hmm. Yes. And did you bounce around as far as the drug of choice? Was it just what was available? Yes, it definitely, um, it was, I, my drug of choice was opiates at the time. I did not discriminate. I would use anything and everything, especially if I didn't have opiates, I would have to use whatever I could get my hands on to prevent myself from feeling ill because I would feel ill without it. So I definitely had my my days of using methamphetamine. And then, you know, I use drugs different ways too. I, you know, I started taking them, snorting them, um, injecting them. I've done it every possible way you can think of smoking them. Things didn't get really out of control until I started seeing a doctor though, who was prescribing all of them. So that kept me in denial for a very long time. Because it was legal if yes. they're prescribing them, right? Correct. So I'm not doing anything wrong. 
Correct. And that seems to be the start for a lot of mm-hmm. folks. Uh, that's the reasoning. It makes sense from the outside until you look back. Yes, definitely. And then you pay that price and everything that goes with it. Mm-hmm. So what about some of the the losses during the years, friends, loved ones to drugs? Did you have that? I know you've already mentioned yeah. with your... Uh, you know, the family, but move outside of that. Yeah, I, I've, I lost everything, but a lot of friends, a lot of people didn't want to be around me anymore. They thought it was a bad influence. Family members started to fall off, the ones that were actually doing good. But but most of all, the one thing that I, that I lost the most was my identity, who I was. Who's Sarah now? Like I, I had no emotion whatsoever, which is what I was trying to cover up in the first place. And doing so... I wasn't just covering up the bad emotions. I was covering up all the good emotions as well. When did Tara start to surface? When did you start to see her? When did Tara start to fight back? I don't know. I knew I was addicted, but I just kept myself in denial for a really long time. I didn't get sober till 2016, which is a story in itself. Prior to this, I just want to throw in there. I did find something that like stabilized me a little bit. So I I found myself pregnant again at some point in time. Prior to this, I had miscarriage due to my drug use. So this would be my third pregnancy. And I have, I was fearful that I was addicted to these drugs and I was going to lose this other child. So I sought help. And that's when they introduced me to the methadone clinic. And I thought, oh, well, this is going to work great. This this has stabilized me. This has, you know, it, it, it kept me from using other drugs for a while. Not for very long, though. Um, unfortunately, I did have my son. He was born in September of 2014. He was born addicted to methadone. At least he was born. I look at it that way. Like a lot of, I don't think people realize how many babies are actually born with substances. Uh, they choose methadone because they feel as if it's the safest drug to take while pregnant. But I, I put a lot of guilt and shame for that because I didn't realize how detrimental this substance actually was, even though it appeared to me that it was getting my life back together. At least I was becoming more stable. I went from, you know, bouncing from one house to the other, to the trap house, to staying with a family member here, staying with a family member there, because it got really bad for a while. I found myself in dark, dark holes to the point where I even gave my daughter to her father because I felt as if I wasn't taking good care of her. So when I got on the methadone, I started stabilizing. I was just using that. I was holding a job. I was seeing my daughter. I got an apartment again. Everything seemed to be going good until it wasn't no more, basically. After he was born, I was stabilized for a while, but I started to pick up here and there and use on top of the methadone because that is one substance that you can use while using other drugs. Found that there was a point in time, I feel like this is what I would call like my spiritual awakening. I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired of these substances controlling my life. I would have to drive up to Fort Wayne every single day to be dosed, to drive all the way back, to drive up again, to drive all the way back, just to be stabilized. I didn't feel happy. I was numb. I was depressed. I just, I felt as if I was not living a life to its fullest. So at the time, I didn't really have a higher power or any type of connection with God I grew up not really going to church. My my father would go on the weekends. I was with him, but it, it appeared to be very boring for me <laughs> as a child. So I, I really wasn't getting that connection with a higher power. So I do recall 
praying to God at this time. And I was just like, you know, please help me. Um, I just don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I, I don't know how. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting a little emotional because no. it, it's, it, it really, I was bit, I was pleading to him. Like, I just don't want to, to be in this lifestyle anymore. I just need some help. I need some guidance. And he he answered that prayer. He just answered it in a way I didn't think he would. But that's how that's tell, that's tell, how God is. Still. Tell us about that answer, okay? <laughs> um, you really piqued my interest yeah. in that. All right, go <laughs> ahead. About two weeks later, I woke up to a bunch of cops pounding on my door. And I I just want to throw in there I have gone to jail here and there, but each time I went, it was for short periods of time. And since I was prescribed everything, they gave me all those substances still. So I never got clean one time. And I would get out like two weeks later or here or there, you know. And this time, like, there was a whole bunch of cops and I knew I did something awful. Like, I don't, I didn't know what it was, who knew. But I was, I, they eventually arrested me and my son's father for dealing. I had two dealing charges. One was a level four, one was a level five, a level four for the child being present during the deal. And then a level five dealing charge. Uh, I was looking at some significant time. I tried calling my family to get me out, but they weren't going to help me. Like the ones that were doing good were tired of enabling me, tired of me always asking for help. It just got to a point where they're like, we've had enough. You're going to sit there. So I remember my son at this time. I vividly remember I knew I was not going to see him for a while. So I remember actually taking in that moment of just saying goodbye to him. And then they took me they took me away. And that's actually the the beginning of how I actually got sober and and uh, chose a different path. Well, God chose a different path for me. And um, it's ironic how he leads you down these down these paths and these journeys that you don't really want to go down, but they have a purpose towards the end. <laughs> they're not always easy. And as you've already said, they're not always our choice. Yes. But I think you'd agree they're best. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we need to be careful <laughs> what we pray sometimes because mm-hmm. God's going to answer the prayer, but it may not be in the way we're hoping or even praying for. So how long were you in jail over those charges, Tara? I was looking at nine years total. I was facing that. My family did hire a lawyer at this time. And I just remember when I first got in there, like at this point in time, they stopped giving opiates in in the jail. So I, I could not receive any type of medication at all whatsoever. So you have to remember, I've been using opiates for uh, quite some time and if you're very educated on this it's very dangerous to come off some some of these substances it can be deadly I felt like I was dying in there I literally felt as if I was not going to survive and at the time the only thing that was in there was a bible that that's it I just remember I I didn't have no other resource but that bible so that's what I did. I opened that Bible. I started reading it and I started to feel this connection with God and that I was right where I was supposed to be. Regardless of how I was feeling, the more I read it, the better I felt. So I did withdraw for like almost two months straight because methadone is one of those substances that really stays in your system for a very long time. I didn't sleep. It seemed like for a month, but eventually I got I got over that hump. 
And eventually I started to figure out who Tara was again. And I started to be, I was probably the happiest person you could have ever met that was behind bars. I was <laughs> laughing, enjoying uh, life itself. Uh, even though I didn't have a whole lot of freedom at the time, I felt as if I was free. You so. had a hope over desperation at that point. I once yes. heard it said, when faith is all you have, faith is all you need. For you, when the Bible's all you have, the Bible's all you need. Yes. And that saw you through. Yes. Uh, and then you started to find yourself. How did Tara blossom from there? During this time, obviously, I, I eventually got sentenced. I spent a year in county, and eventually I just gave in, like, basically, God, uh, you know what, what you have in store for me. You have a plan, so I'm just going to go with it. The judge actually sentenced me to a seven-year sentence, but he made me purposeful. Uh, purposeful incarceration just basically means as soon as you go down to the DOC, Department of Corrections, you go straight into a rehabilitation program. Now, not all these programs are great, especially in men's prisons, but the women's prison program down there was exactly what I needed. It was like a rehab facility. They basically taught me about addiction, about recovery, like how to use coping skills to change my thinking, CBT stuff. Like I just learned everything that I know now, like by heart. <laughs> so, and I utilized it. I was like, I know this is what I want. I have to do this. If this is what I have to do to stay sober for the rest of my life, I will. So I just embraced it. I really worked on the trauma that I had been through. But you have to remember during this time, I was still struggling with things. My my son had gone into the, the system with DCS because both me and his father were arrested. You know, my I was trying to reconnect with other family members, especially my daughter, whom I caused a lot of trauma in her life due to my addiction. So, you know, that, that saying, hurt people hurt people, that's a true saying. We typically have been hurt, so we that's the only thing we know to do is hurt other people. So it was definitely a process. And I thought, you know, I went down there, I did everything I was supposed to do. Uh, the judge said he was going to modify me, which means... After I did the program, completed it, you know, I went down there and got my education finally. I got my high school diploma. I furthered my education even. I went to cosmetology school. I did like a business class in there. I did a technology class. I even, you know, I was working really hard. No write-ups, stayed out of trouble, didn't really hang out with the crowd that was using because if I wanted to use, I probably could have while I was down there because drugs are accessible in prisons, um, probably more than what they are on the street, honestly. So it was about me and like, if I was going to do this, then I was going to do it. Like I had to make that choice for myself. You're either going to stop using now or you're or you're never going to stop using because if you cannot stop using while incarcerated, I, you're never going to make it out there is what I told myself. I worked really, really, really hard. That's where I learned what perseverance is and just what mm. it's like to, I mean, that's the pleasure in succeeding at the things that we set our minds to is the fact that it was really hard to get there. <laughs> so We earn that, especially coming from all that you did, uh, the yeah. self-inflicted and the non-self-inflicted. You were saying down there throughout this, where were you, Madison? I was. I was in Madison. I have no problem guessing that. <laughs> I didn't know because I've heard these same kind of reports of <laughs> lives that are changed there and all the effort they put into it. 
it's not just a matter of trying to lock away the problem. They're trying to knock away the problem. They're trying to give you resources. I have several friends who have been there, been that route, and they're very successful in life right now. Not all of them, obviously, because it takes the word you used was perseverance, and yes. that means an everyday battle, doesn't it? Absolutely. It definitely was an everyday battle. Do you sure. still get the urge to use? Do you feel like you're beyond that? And I know you can't risk using, but yeah, tell the folks about that. Like, I can honestly say, if you really want the help, it's out there, especially now more than ever because back then there wasn't a lot of treatment but you learn how to cope with those urges and those triggers and that desire to want to use you just have to really be mindful and aware of your thinking and know how to utilize the support system not be afraid to utilize that support system so it definitely definitely I I encourage anybody that needs some help to learn what they can because those coping skills, I wouldn't be able to be sober today without them. You have a uh, box full of tools. It's a matter of grabbing that right tool, correct? Yes, But you've got to learn how to use the tools in the beginning. So you've had that experience, and so you can encourage others. Definitely. Let the folks know about the Terra of today. Okay. Family dynamics, professional. I know you received an award not too many months ago for your accomplishments. Share that with the folks, please. I would like to just throw in there that it hasn't always been like an easy journey. At some point in time during my incarceration, I was denied and I continued to stay in prison for a little bit longer. And during that process, I did lose my son. So at that point, I I like the reason I want to throw that in there is because I was devastated at first, um, just going through all this changing and just making such a huge effort that I was absolutely denied. And then I lost a child due to that. The folks, what denied means? Like, uh, so when I went for my modification, the judge, uh, you know, he said, I did great. You know, you, uh, you really, I see a huge change in you. He didn't think I was ready to be modified. So I sat a little bit longer, which in the long run actually worked out for me and it made sense. Like I said, God always has a plan. I was able to actually go to work release and save up enough money to actually support myself for when I did get out. So it worked out, but in the process, like there was definitely some hurt and pain. And it was a, a time where I felt an urge. Like, I feel like, why did I work so hard? Uh, now I'm losing one of my children due to this. So I contemplated, like, am I going to use or am I not going to use? But that's when I made the decision then one day that that child's gonna hopefully want to know who his biological mom is and I want to be able to tell him he's one of the motivations that I decided to stay clean and change my life around. So moving forward I did spend a little bit more time in prison. Eventually did get out on house arrest. Uh, You know there's some challenges there, challenges with uh, probation always, you know, but they pushed me. They really did. They, that team that they have in Adams County is pretty good. Like they're just really strict and there's a reason why some of us need that structure. I didn't have that as a, as a child. And it just really pushed me to want to do good. And I, I humbled myself work, factory jobs, work, you know, jobs at restaurant. I saved my money. I, I paid off all those fines and fees to get my license. The one thing I did do when I got out was go to meetings. Instead of hanging out with the same crowd, I went to meetings. And that was my motivation to continue 
to to stay on the right path that pushed me and and that meeting was Brianna's help so it just pushed me to it, it gave me a support system I needed to stay on the right track and believe it or not like doing the right thing leads to a lot of open doors and you know I got offered to be a leader of Brianna's Hope which I was I'm honored that I'm I'm a leader of Brianna's Hope and that I'm able to guide those people and then that led me to avenues where I got offered a job there I've moved up two positions already. I just received Recovery Advocate of the Year for all my hard work. I'm what you call a group facilitator. I work with addicts every single day. I do groups with them every single day, all day long. I've been reunited with my daughter. I've even gone back to court, got full custody of her. I've got my own house. I'm engaged. Like my life completely changed around. Not just a little bit, like a lot, like 180 for sure. So I, and I can't, I can't take all the credit because I definitely have to give some of that to God for leading me in the right direction that I needed to go to find meaning and purpose in my life. After that prayer of desperation that you were sick and tired of being sick and tired, this is the rest of the story. And it's a good story. And I know it's a promising Mm -hmm. future. Kind of wrap this up. The name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? Faith just basically means believing in something that's bigger than yourself, something that can help guide you. Uh, Without faith, I feel as if we won't feel... Like we have meaning or purpose in our life and I have to have some type of source that I can lean on. I always say connection is the opposite of addiction. So you have to have some kind of connection with not just your higher power, which mine has God, but as with other people, other addicts, share your story, spread it around. You'll be surprised at how many people they'll relate to it and something will click and they might just decide that they want to change their life. We have too many people losing their lives today. I, I read a study the other day, hundred and 36 people die of an overdose every 10 minutes. So that's awful. And I just don't, I don't want to see this take, take over their lives. And Terry, you've proven that by being here today. I know it's not a hop, skip and a jump to Portland. It's not that (laughs) far from Decatur, but it takes time. And I know it was your day off. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us here on Faith in Your Recovery. God bless. We want you to stay in the battle. And folks, we want you to do so as well. We don't believe you've come this far to only come this far. Your answer, your healing, your recovery may be just around the corner, maybe in our next episode. Have faith in your recovery by having faith in yourself, your journey, and above all, God. God bless. Stay in the battle.